Amen. Well, we're going to welcome up our new friends, Amanda, Chris, and family to do our Advent candle reading. If you want to have a seat, please feel free. Love has many dimensions. I love you are words that parents say to a child that a new couple might eventually confess to one another and even that we say to a cherished pet. Love can be all of this and yet it is so much more than we ever appreciate. Jesus was a living model of the fullness of God's definition of love. Paul painted the following word picture of this love in 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. It is our great and wonderful mystery that God loves each of us with this love. Today we add to the candles of peace, hope, and joy a fourth candle to represent the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, may you increase our appreciation for your great love. Guide us into building our lives upon the model of your son. May we be witnesses in our own words and actions through our love. Amen. All right. And the two of you, if you want to come up here, we're going to pray for you right before we head off to our special time in Children's Church. Yes, you excited? I'm glad you're excited. All right, wow, that's such a pretty dress, so look Christmassy. All right, so we're gonna go off, have a fun time. And I also wanna say, you did such a good job last Sunday on the music. You helped so, yeah, that was so good. And thank you, Ms. Hanya, for all of your hard work. It was so good. Did you, you were able to watch it? It was so good. Uh, all the chime playing and the singing and, and the solo work. Thank you very much. So Lord, thank you so much for music. Thank you for that gift that gets, gets us together and doing one thing that, that brings us joy and, and meaning. As we go off to our special time together with our friends, may you be with us, Jesus, teaching us more about your love and the adventure of following you. We ask this in your name, Jesus.
All right, have fun. Pass the mic off to Pij, Liz. Well, good morning. Um, if we're doing the announcements, that means the young adult group is having another uh, event. Today we're having our Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, another event, a Christmas party at our house. So if you are of a similar age to us, um, 20s to early 30s, or if you look young like Felipe, uh, you're welcome at our house today at 5.30. Um, come and reach out to either one of us or my brother, um, Renzi, over there for the address. Um, 5 p.m., bring 5.30? No, sorry, 5.30. Bring a block of cheese or some dried meats. Um, we'll have a cheese board and stuff like that. Just get together and have some Christmas fun. Um, also today... Families with kids should come back here to watch The Star in Hyatt Hall. Um, that'll be fun. And I guess the parents of those children who come will be able to connect with one another and have some community. Complain about the kids. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so Christmas Eve, uh, what it says on the phone is that it's at 5 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Yeah, so we'll be having a candlelight service with um, candles and songs and uh, Christmas stuff. Okay, and then on the 26th, we will be having worship. Uh, church is not canceled because of Christmas. So, uh, yes, tent kids can come in their Christmas PJs um, just to keep the, the Christmas spirit going. I think that's it. Anything else? No. Thank you. come together now before God as a community of faith. Father God, we come before you this morning with so many different emotions, so many different things on our heart. And God, we thank you that you call us to this place. You call us together as people for a purpose, to be able to walk with each other, to lift each other up. And you also invite us with open arms to lift the things on our hearts to you, our praises that you are so due, and the things that are heavy on our hearts this morning, Lord. We pray for the different places in the world that are suffering, that feel so out of control, places of conflict, places that are suffering because of corruption, poverty, hunger. God, we, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Bring your presence to these places and be with the people that are there who are working to bring your presence to those places. Protect them and fill them up. God, we pray for our own country 
and the divisions and the problems and the divisions that go down even to our own families, God. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, and bring your presence to those situations. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are lonely during this season. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, bring your presence to those people. And use us to bring your presence to those people. Show us those places where we can walk alongside our brothers and sisters here and the ones that are in our lives at home, at school, at work. Use us to bring your presence, Lord. And God, in this moment, we take time to lift up with our voices, names, places that are weighing heavy on our hearts this morning. we thank you and praise you that even if we don't know what to pray for, you intercede for us on our behalf. We praise you because you are faithful. We praise you because you can. And we thank you that we can celebrate that. We can lift our praises as well as our concerns to you, God. Hear us now as we pray the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Amen. We're going to Daniel, so you can open that up if you either brought a Bible or if you need to turn yours on. Uh, the scripture itself won't be on the screen today, so you have to do it with your own fingers and keep up. But we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, and also then we're going to skip over to chapter 6. We're going to read two sections of the scriptures there. One that talks about the, uh, the furnace and how... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in the blazing fire. And then we'll jump to Daniel and in his own moment of crisis, um, finding him being thrown into the lion's den. So this is going to be Daniel 3. And I'll be reading, as it says up there, from chapter 3, verses 20 through 22 through 27. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors gathered around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's jump over to chapter 6, 16 through 23. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, praise to God. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that your spirit would give us wisdom and insight into what you are saying to us through, through, this, through these scriptures, through these stories of Daniel and friends. Lord, may this be a time where we continue to grow in our understanding who you are, who we are, and what you have called us to. We ask this in your name, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Great, so we're in this series of Daniel here in Advent, looking at what he went through as also something that can inform, inspire, perhaps even call us into a deeper faith, living in the world that we are in, which, which is quite similar to what Daniel was experiencing. Now today we, we 
approach the one aspect of Daniel's life that I hope is not going to be a part of any of ours, which is being thrown into this blazing fiery furnace or into a, Daniel, uh, a den full of lions. But we can use them also in some other ways metaphorically for the type of situations that we do find ourselves in. These can be allegories for our own lives. Now, what is it that gets both Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire and also Daniel thrown into the lion's den? What is it that gets them into that position? Dawn. Correct. It was their refusal to worship something other than God. And then with Daniel, it was the same principle. He refused to, to pray, to, to worship only something pagan, something of this world, something secular. It says there in chapter 6 that as soon as a decree, as soon as an order from the government came that they couldn't worship God anymore and they could only worship the king, it says God, it says Daniel just kept on doing what he always had done, which is pray, which is worship three times a day opening his window up, pointing towards Jerusalem, and praying to God. Worship is what gets all of these four men into trouble, young men into trouble, worshiping God alone. So today we're going to look at worship. First, I want to talk about what is worship, and then I want to talk a bit about what worship does. What is the result of worship? Ultimately, looking at how worship changes the world. So first of all, what is worship? We need to understand what, what it is first before we get too further. Now, what is it not? Oftentimes, I have found in, in church many people who seem to think worship is the emotional response or, or that the end of worship, that the goal of worship is to come to a place like this that's, that's filled with sacred beauty and to then be uh, whipped up into some emotional positivity, and then that is equated with good worship. Oftentimes today, when you say worship, you mean the what part of the service? The music. That's the worship part of the service. And often we even call it the worship team, but really it's the, it's the music team that we're talking about. So we've taken the, the, the idea of worship and we have narrowed its definition down to either the music or often that part of our life which is supposed to fill us with, with the warm fuzzies or the ecstasy. And if that was the only thing that worship was, then we would know that something like um, 50 years ago, an Elvis concert, or, or, or 20 years ago, what, NSYNC? And today, I'm not even sure who it would be. But everybody that goes to these concerts, and you'd see them fainting. At, you see people fainting at these concerts because they're filled with such an emotional high. Well, of course, that can't be worship. That can't be worship that we're talking about in the Bible. So what is worship? Um, worship has to be an all-in sort of thing. If you look at the example that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are giving to, to you today, coming before God in worship uh, requires us to either be 100% in or even the opposite. We can't be somewhere in between. If you look at the life of Jesus, 
people that came to him, they would end up either having to, to worship him or reject him. He didn't give a lot of space there for the middle ground. And why is this? As Christians, as the church, when we read scripture, we see clearly that Jesus was not just a man, but he's also fully God. And so when someone comes to Jesus, they're not just coming to talk to a person, they're interacting with, with God himself. And when you come before that, that 100% holiness, God, then you're not left with any other option. You're either in or you're out. You're either fully going to be willing to bow down before God and his holiness. How does God often appear in, in, in the Old Testament scriptures? For instance, to Moses. He's on fire. The Lord is described often as this fire. And when the angel comes, it's, it's a fiery. When he leads Israel through the desert, at night, what is, what is God? <laughs> this pillar of fire. As we approach God in, in, in Jesus, there's this holy fire that's waiting. Now, God is described as holy, but also as love. In Leviticus, we hear God is holy. We hear in various places in Scripture, but 1 John 4, 16, clearly God is love. So we can approach also with confidence. But as we do, you see that the only response... It's, it's two. It's either to worship or to reject. In Matthew 28, in Matthew 28, at the very end of, of the time that disciples had with Jesus, it says they, they met him on the mountain just before he would ascend. And what did they do right when they got there? It says they worshipped him. And also some doubted. It says that they worshipped him but while they're worshiping him, still there were some there that doubted. So you can see this idea of worship in our life, in your life, even if we don't fully comprehend who this Jesus is, even if we haven't gotten there yet in our full faith of who Jesus said he was, there is still no doubt when it comes to the holiness of God. Those disciples had seen enough to know the power of Jesus. And so when they met him on that mountain, their response was, to bow before that holiness, to bow before that power. There was something there they could not explain. It was other. It was, it was divine. They didn't understand it. Their faith was still in formation just like ours. But nevertheless, they, they, they worshipped. Nevertheless, they worshipped. In uh, Revelation... The other 3.16, right? John 3.16 is the famous God so loved the world. I think the other one is also important for us, the American church. Revelation 3.16. It's where Jesus is speaking to the churches. And he says, because you are lukewarm, what's he going to do? He's going to spit you out of his mouth. He's going to vomit you. This idea that, again, if we come to Jesus, he says there's no room for this middle ground. We're either going to worship or we're going to, we're going to run away. <laughs> we're going to reject. We're going to um, give some reason that we're not going to be a part of this, this Jesus movement, Christianity. But if we're stuck in the middle, Jesus says there's no room for you there. 
I'm fire. You either need, need to be consumed or run away. Worship. The Greek words, the Hebrew words are important, but let's start with the English word. What does the English word worship mean? Anybody know where that feels like? From, from Old English, war, warship. The idea of ascribing worth. Worship is, in the English connotation, ascribing worth. Here's the problem. In Hebrew and in Greek, the main word that we find for both has to do with bowing down. Worship is, is a physical action of bowing down. And why, why does somebody bow down before another person? Why do we bow before a king? Respect, what else? Hmm? To honor, what else? It's an act of complete submission. It's showing, it's showing this king that I have, I am putting myself completely weak before you. I, you. I'm not a threat to you at all. In fact, if you want to take my life even, here is my head. When you bow before a king, it is an act of utter submission. It is recognizing the power of the other. And again, the Greek and the Hebrew words that you often see translated worship have that meaning. It, it actually means to fall down or, or go onto your knees to prostrate yourself. That's what the biblical idea of worship is. I fear a bit that in our English language, the idea of worship has become the more dominant understanding of what we're doing. We come to ascribe worship, but we can do it without bowing down. I mean, we can ascribe worth, but we can do it without bowing down. We can get close to God, and we can say how pretty he is. When a lot of our worship songs today talk about how pretty God is. But we miss out on that holiness factor that should bring us down to our knees. Worship is to bow down. And that brings us towards what worship does. Worship corrects your posture. Worship corrects your posture. A lot of us walk around in life with our heads held high, even when it comes to God, and we don't submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what, what happens as we individually in your homes like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as we come together, and we'll get to that later, as a church, what happens when we worship the biblical view of bowing down is it corrects our posture. It reminds our hearts and minds who we should be listening to. First and foremost, we shouldn't be listening to what the phone tells us or what the media is telling us first. We certainly we can't be listening to what philosophies or, or the leading ideas of, of, human, of humanity are telling us. We can't even first be listening to our own hearts and minds. We have to bow all of that down. Worship corrects our posture. The burning bush in Moses, Exodus 3. Moses sees the burning bush, and he turns aside. It says he, he, he notices the bush, and he stops his life. What is going on? And he walks over. What, what does he hear? 
Moses, Moses, come no closer. Do not come any closer. We, we, we might come to the Lord thinking of that love aspect and, and with all the warm fuzzies might come ready, ready to, to, to hug the person that's calling us. And yes, Jesus embraces us, but also there is the holiness. Moses, come no further. I'm fire. Take off your sandals, he says. The place that you're standing is holy. He corrects Moses' posture. You're before something holy. It's, it's, this is a place for you to recognize that I am God and you are not. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living a life in which they are all in on this worship. They've, they have bowed down completely, even to, even to the, uh, the threat of their own life. We've been using Romans 12 a bit as we're going through Daniel, and it starts like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to what? Come on, young adult group, we just did this. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your, your spiritual worship or your true worship. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Prostrate yourself. Bow down. Even if that means sacrificing what your heart and mind, what the world is telling you, we first must bow down and be open to putting ourselves, submitting ourselves to the king, to God. Now, as we do this, what does worship do? As we bow down before the king, that means, that means the Lord God now has, we're now listening. I'm coaching Caleb's basketball team right now. We've had our first two games. We've not, we've not done well, but we're going to get better. We've had our first two games, and a couple of the kids on the team, they're, you know, nine-year-old boys. Do you think they, they fall right in line and listen to everything I have to say? They all have their own basketball. Right when they get on the court, and they're on the court they've given us to practice, there are three different hoops. So right when we get on the court, all, all eight of them, all nine of them, are all off on one of these different basketball hoops, shooting their ball. It's bouncing everywhere, and they're running to get their ball. I'm yelling at them to please come over and, and, and get, get where I can talk to them. The balls are going everywhere. They keep shooting. Someone pushes another person over, and they're just, they're just going nuts. I have to take the balls, every ball away from them, and I have to have them come over, and then I, I can't even have them stand up. They have to kneel down, and then, and only then, can I begin to teach them anything. But the point is I have something to tell them, to instruct them. Now, we often are like, are like these nine-year-old boys with basketball with all these hoops. And we are so distracted. We know what we want to do. I want to go shoot. The Lord calls us to worship so that he, so that he can form. When, when we do bow, when we do bow, um, the Lord speaks to us. The, the central verse of, of Israel um, is found in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, particularly um, 
particularly verse, the verses that follow, it's called the Shema because the first word of, of that passage is Shema in Hebrew. And it is the key prayer that to this day that the, that the Jewish people will use throughout, throughout their prayer life as they worship. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. That's what God tells us as we come and as we bow before him. He's bringing us together like that team. And he's saying what we should be doing, our purpose, as he corrects our posture, he resets our purpose. Love the Lord your God. And when he says with all of your soul, heart, strength, in Hebrew, when you see three, that just means it means completely. It means 100%. It means you're all in. Love God with everything that you are. Now, when, when Jesus is asked what's the greatest command, he answers rightly with this passage, the Shema, like a good practicing Jew. And then he adds also, and the second part's very important, equally important, and what's that? Love God and, and your neighbor and other people. We bow before God, not so that he would come and, and turn us into something <laughs> that, that society today might call some judgmental religious person. Rather, God calls us to run the next play in the playbook, which is love God completely and love other people completely. All right, so we understand this is what worship does. When we come together in worship, yes, um, our, our hope our hope is that you leave with hope, that you leave with a new sense of joy, with, with, new, with a new sense of promise as you walk through that door. But even more importantly, the first aspect is what the Bible teaches. We are to bow down so that we can once again be repurposed. Our posture can be fixed so that we can be repurposed to stand up and walk out of this place knowing that we are created to love God completely and to love other people completely. That's what worship does. That's what the purpose would be of this worship. In, um, tell a story for a second here. In World War II, uh, towards the end of it, uh, 44, there's a, something called the Battle of the Bulge. If you've studied this, you know what it is. If not, um, uh, Germany is now in desperate times, and they make one last huge push um, on, on the battlefront there between Germany, France, Belgium, and um, it, it's, it's in winter, and it's now um, getting close to Christmas. And it's brutal because it's so cold. And in the fighting, we have, we have a story of um, some three Americans that had been separated from their, from their fellow soldiers. And they're now out here in the middle of nowhere, so far from home, uh, deep in snow. And one of them is shot, and they're trying to make their way back. To, to their lines. And it's Christmas Eve. And they come upon a cottage. And um, it is dangerous, but they decide they're going to walk up and they're going to knock on the door and see if they'll be taken in. A woman opens the door and sees them. Now, she's German, and her immediate instincts would be the following. I have, I have been told 
by, by the Nazi soldiers that if I harbor, if I take in any American soldiers, I, I will be killed. But looking upon them, um, she takes them in. We get this account from her son, who is also there, 12 years old, named Fritz. He remembers his mother taking them in because she felt, she felt like they were the same age as what her children could be. She takes them in, and, the, and these three American soldiers, they begin to um, have a Christmas Eve dinner together. She cares for the wounded. Knock, knock, knock on the door. She goes and opens it, and who's standing there? Four German soldiers. Also lost, also looking for a place that night. She says, well, yes, you can come in, but there's something you need to know. I have three American soldiers in here. What? You can't have them in here. She stops them right there and says, and I quote, this is Christmas Eve. There will be no shooting here. They push back, saying you need to bring them out. She says, this one night, this Christmas night, let us forget about killing. They agree. They leave. She makes them leave all of their weapons outside the door. She goes back and explains to the American soldiers that they need to give them, they need to give her their weapons, and they do take them out. I guess the Germans came in, and it was a few moments of a very awkward, <laughs> very awkward silence. Everybody's trying to measure the room. But eventually, eventually the spirit of the evening broke through. They all sat around the table. And they, as they sat there, Fritz remembers his mother praying the, the typical Lutheran table prayer. And begins, says, Komm, Herr Jesu, Zaidu uns Gast. As she said these words, Fritz remembers her mother began to tear up and the soldiers around them, because it translates, Lord Jesus, come, be you our guest. Worship makes us recognize what's God's purpose. And that night, as, as this woman entered into her own fiery furnace, her own lion's den, by, by allowing these soldiers to come together. As they sat around that table, the purpose of worship, what worship does, was like a candle burning on the table before them, this light of Christ. It was putting too short of a time, but was putting an end to the fight, to the violence. The next morning, mm, they all made a stretcher to help the American soldiers carry their wounded back to the lines. The Germans helped them um, find a path through the German front so they could get back safely, and they went their separate ways. That was just one night, but it was Christmas Eve, and it showed the power to everybody in that room that Jesus brings if we follow what, what he's taught, if, if we correct our posture, and if we hear this call to love 
when Jesus comes again, that night will be for the rest of our life. Let's pray. Father, you're calling us to to worship. And Lord, I pray that as, as your church does this, that right now in our prayer, we would see what you're doing. Father, you've called us individually to a burning bush and to recognize your holiness in this world. And we feel that. We, we have felt in our lives in different times that, that there is something else happening, that there is power beyond our understanding. And right now, Lord, we, we want to recognize that this is you. And so we, we do. We want to submit ourselves individually. Lord, in this Christmas season, help us see the shepherds and the magi. Lord, we are gathered here right now, either as shepherds, even at, either as those who have already confessed faith in you, or we're gathered here, Lord, as your magi, as those who have yet said that you are Lord and Savior publicly, but, but you call both of us here. And we either come as uh, shepherds, as those who are part of the more dominant culture here in this land, or as magi who come from um, other cultures. Lord, you've brought all of us together here. And so, Lord, together we worship you. Lord, we pray that through uh, your church, through River of the Valley, that we would continue to grow into this worship of, of together bowing down before you. Lord, may we enter into those fiery furnaces, those lion's dens, And may we be changed in the world through the way that worshiping corrects this posture, corrects our, our purpose. Lord, we pray over our church that you would give us courage and bravery to not conform, but to transform. To not bless the violence, but to call it to an end. To not participate in the divisions Lord, give us the tools and give us the resources that we need in order um, to be the reconciliation, to be your epicenter of reconciliation here in the San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles, California, the world. Lord, we pray now, we finish our prayer with this picture of, of the heavenly worship service. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory 
and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen and amen. Move into this time of self-offering. May you worship. Bow yourself before the Lord now. As we all come to that one person of Jesus who binds us together, let us worship. Thank you.